Well, let me uh, lay out for you the, uh, the structure for tonight. Basically, my goal is to go through four sections tonight. If we don't get to the fourth, that's okay. Each section will have a similar structure. So we're going to start each section with a meditation for the anxious. They're, uh, they're independent and they're not actually connected to anything that follows. It's just a simple kind of meditation. And the idea behind them is that the, the texts in Scripture that people often go to uh, to help them with anxiety are the texts that say, don't be anxious, and it doesn't help that much. Okay, there's other scriptures that are actually really helpful when it comes to anxiety, but they don't actually use the word anxiety, and they're about something else. Because if you remember what I said last Sunday, um, the the way to deal with anxiety is is to trust, and so we need to find scriptures that lead us to trust. That's what we need to find. So there'll be a uh, a scripture and a bit of a meditation, and I'll give a few thoughts about what a meditation is. I think um, the best way to conceptualize it is and this this may be unhelpful to you but it's a cow lying in a paddock chewing on its cud it's a nourishment meditation is slowing down and it's actually nourishing yourself by what you're thinking and considering after a meditation a short meditation we'll uh, move on to a teaching session while I'll unpack something which will be helpful for you and for those who you love who battle with anxiety. And then at the end of each section, there'll be an opportunity to ask questions. Bottom line is you can ask a question whenever you want, but at the end of each kind of section, there'll be an opportunity for you to do that. And I expect tonight that we'll be done in somewhere between 60 to 90 minutes. Uh, that's, that's what my plan is. So let's kick in. Let's uh, start with the first meditation for tonight. comes out of Psalm 55. I'm going to intentionally slow down when we do this because uh, I think that sometimes we read too fast. Uh, we read, read scripture too fast. I said in one of the uh, videos about uh, my Becoming You book that we read for information instead of transformation. Um, and we're used to doing that. When God speaks, we need to listen to him. He has good things to say. So let me read this. But I call to God. And the Lord will save me. It's future tense, right? Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. And he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. If you've ever... Uh, struggle with anxiety let me let me uh, tap in a few kind of meditation type thoughts about those three verses anxiety is a real battle there aren't real necessarily real physical troops like david had at times but it is a battle <laughs> and it can feel like you have a lot of enemies sometimes that's the reality of it look at the way that david starts i call to god and the Lord will save me. He starts with his confidence of future salvation. It's not present yet, it's future, but he's got confidence. It's, it's actually the opposite of what fear and anxiety say, right? Fear and anxiety say, save yourself, look after yourself, get it done, do the work. You need to stop that bad thing happening. David's saying, no, the Lord will save me. He stays his own hand, 
in favour of gods. And then what does he do? Uh, This is the bit that really stands out to me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. Uh, I don't know whether you've ever struggled with anxiety, but uh, if you have, uh, one of the things that can get going inside of you in the midst of anxiety is, God's going to get sick of me. (laughs) I'm going to ask him to rescue me again. I asked him 30 times yesterday. You know, and, and what's, what's the psalmist saying? What's David saying? Morning, noon, and night. I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to ask him to help me. And he groans and he cries out. What's the point? Don't get tired of asking God for help. <laughs> That's what David's kind of showing us here. Ask him to save, to lead you through. Ask him as many times as you need to each day, and don't feel guilty about it. Is anyone with me? Yeah. You feel like you've got a certain quota per day of times you can ask to be rescued? Is there? Is there a quota? There's no quota. You just keep doing it. That's what you do because the Lord is abundant in saving. I wonder, um, wonder what you get out of that. I wonder if you get anything out of it. That's some things that that I get out of those verses as I uh, think about them in the context of uh, anxiety. Here's a teaching piece, uh, the nature of humanity. Uh, I want to take a few moments just to think about the way people have been made because this will help us understand anxiety and how to handle it. Remember uh, last week for those who heard the message that God made humanity in his image to have dominion under his dominion. We, uh, we were given power by God to bring... Uh, Order and goodness out of waste, nothing and chaos, nothingness and chaos. That's, um, but, but in a smaller way than what God did in creation. Uh, but I want to just zoom out for a moment and just look at the physical and non-physical nature of uh, people because there's some, uh, there's some help to be gained here when thinking through uh, anxiety. Now, people uh, kind of split all over the place in terms of how many different parts of humanity there are. Right? There's people who think we're at a unity, People who think we're, uh, there's two parts to humanity, body and soul. Uh, people who think there's three parts to humanity. Now, the physical part everyone agrees on, right? We call that the body. But how, how many other parts? There's a bit of disagreement on it. The non-physical part of us is called things like spirit, soul, the heart. And I think for most of the time through Scripture, that Scripture uses those terms synonymously and, and uh, they overlap with one another. The term that's used most frequently, I think, to describe the non-physical part of who we are is the heart. And uh, not only is it the most frequently used, but it is also the most helpful in understanding the person. If you want to drill down and think through theologically about whether we're one, two or three, I can give you some articles later on. The perspective of this church and my conviction is that we're two. Two, two parts, body and soul, body and, and heart. And the term heart is actually a really helpful term that's often used in Scripture to talk about our motivations and why we do things. Uh, here it is in diagrammatic form. See in the centre there, the, uh, the red circle in the centre is, is the, the heart, what Scripture would say is the heart, the non-physical part of who you and I are. And uh, you can't actually see it, which is why the, uh, the person there is kind of transparent a bit. And... Um, that heart, that non-physical part of who we are, actually sits inside a body. And this is actually 
really important. The, um, we're going to see that in a minute. But at the end of the day, the heart is actually the center of, of who we are. And Scripture speaks to this regularly. Uh, here's one classic example from Proverbs 27, 19. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Uh, the heart operates in, in certain ways. It does things. In our culture, when you talk about the heart, people think emotions. But in Scripture, it's, it's much broader than simply emotions. And I would encourage you to grab a concordance and look up the word heart in Scripture and go through and find what it's talking about every time that it uses the, the term heart in Scripture. Because one of the things you'll find, and I've, I've done this, is that Scripture, when it speaks of heart, actually refers to the mind, the will, and the emotions. Those are kind of the three things that are going on in the heart. So if you looked up, for example, heart in the Scriptures, and you ended up in Psalm 139, this is a little bit of a test, um, but if you ended up in Psalm 139, is this talking about mind, will, or emotions? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Mind, will, or emotions? What do you reckon? Your mind. Yeah. So the part of the heart that uh, Psalm 139 is, uh, is referring to here is thinking, the way that we actually think. And what you need to know is when it comes to the heart, the mind, the will, and the emotions are constantly operating. And uh, they're not kind of clear pieces like the old Trivial Pursuit things where they're clearly distinguished from one another but in the heart you will just see the mind the will and the emotions just pushing and pulling on each other all of the time that they're in constant operation and I actually think that that sometimes one of them will be prominent and it will kind of take the lead and then other times another one's going to take the lead but at the end of the day they're all in play at any one point in time and they drag the others along with it. So that's, that's the heart. Now, where it gets interesting is Scripture speaks of uh, humanity as being, I, I talked about this last Sunday morning, being embodied souls. It really just means there's an invisible part of us that can't be seen in a physical part. And the physical part affects the non-physical part, and the non-physical part affects the physical part. That's what it means to actually be human. So you can see here the lightning bolts originate in different places. The top lightning bolt, kind of gives sometimes our body can just give shockwaves through through our heart our non-physical heart and sometimes it runs the other way that our non-physical heart will actually send shockwaves through our body so even just looking at this, this is quite a simple diagram but you've got mind will and emotions and then the body there's a fair bit going on <laughs> for humanity that's that's a bit of a sketch out of what what we're like now stop for a moment and consider anxiety in the context of this, right? I have to answer this, but there's a question for you to think on. How much of the person does it affect? Well, by, uh, body, mind, emotions, will. <laughs> well, you probably know the answer. Uh, it's a whole person experience. They're all getting activated. They're all kind of connected and on the go now you think about the body with anxiety it gets ready to respond to danger there's uh, lots of physical effects of anxiety the mind the mind races plans get developed lies get believed uh, emotions 
We feel fear of something which is not directly in our field of view. That's kind of the anxiety piece. Uh, we're nervous. We say to people we're nervous or we're worried. Uh, I get nervous almost every time before I stand up and speak. That's, there's, there's a bit of an emotion that goes on inside of me. Uh, our will gets involved. We, we do things to mitigate the danger that is in front of us. We do things to deal with it. This is one that I think the church has traded on for dealing with anxiety most of the time. They kind of read those scriptures that sound like God saying you just need to stop being anxious. And if you keep doing it, that you're sinning, uh, that you just need to stop, that it's a will thing all the time. And um, it can be. It can be, but it's not only <laughs> um, a will thing. And it leads us naturally, I think, to the question, is there a silver bullet for anxiety? And this is, this is the really interesting thing. Everyone who struggles with anxiety wants to find a silver bullet that will make it go away, right? But there, there isn't one, <laughs> all right? There isn't really just a silver bullet. Now, there's sometimes, I think that you can, uh, an anxious thought can come along and you can flick it off quickly. Uh, but if it's hung around for a little bit, like a pesky fly, you, you'll find that you actually need a multifaceted approach. You see, if, if anxiety is kind of plugging into our body, our mind, our will and our emotions, uh, a lot of the time just targeting one of those is actually not going to help you at the end of the day. Like you, you, you kind of need to have a multifaceted approach. Now, what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a bunch of things up on the screen to give you some examples of things that I think might need to happen in terms of a multifaceted approach. But it's a bit of a, it'll probably seem a little bit overwhelming because you just kind of go, oh, I've just got all these things on my to-do list, but I'm going to help you out later on with it. But I'm just going to give you this for example. When it comes to your body, what would be some things that uh, we would need to do with our bodies if we're struggling with anxiety? Well, probably rest. Rest, rest is going to be helpful. Uh, and some of you might go, really, is that all we need to do? It's like, no, because it's a multifaceted approach, right? Because there's more going on than just the body. But rest is going to be part of it. Sometimes uh, medication, all right? Sometimes medication is really important. So rest is kind of Sabbath. Medication is, is something that assists, but it's not the core of it. I don't know that I've ever heard of anyone who took medication and all of their anxiety stuff just instantly went away. Uh, medication can be really helpful and it can take away some of the intensity of it but uh, there tends to be a way that people do life that, that needs to be worked through. Sometimes anxiety is a result of biological sources so uh, that's why it's important to go to the doctor. You can have issues with your thyroid that can uh, lead to being more anxious. Listening to uh, this book at the moment, The Body Keeps the Score, which talks about past trauma and how it kind of does things biologically to you that, you that you need to work through. And I think that's a thing as well to be mindful of. Sometimes uh, in terms of the, the body, it's, um, it can be really helpful to remove threats. But it doesn't always work. In fact, most of the time it doesn't work because anxiety tends to find a way to settle on something else if you take a threat away, which is why one of the strategies that uh, gets talked about quite a bit uh, with regard to anxiety is actually exposure therapy, right? Which is where you actually get exposed to the thing that you fear or you're, you're anxious about because it helps you to get 
opening a can of worms here, but it helps you to get new information about and get things in perspective about what the, the fear actually is. So that can be helpful sometimes. You know, you, you can have times where your body can lead you into anxiety uh, and just kind of being mindful of that and, and just being, being aware of it and making sure that you're, that you're resting and kind of on the ball with that. I've certainly had that, and in times where I've been very stressed, there's times where I can, I can just be sitting and just like doing nothing, and all of a sudden I can feel my body start to get stressed, and I just go, that's, like I, that's weird, right? Because I, hadn't, I wasn't thinking about anything, it, and it just feels like something had been stored up in my uh, body that started to express itself. You know, you need to be aware of these things in terms of the body, in terms of the mind, you know, engaging with the lies anxiety tells you. Anxiety just tells lies all the time. And so you're going to have to engage with those lies. You go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus says, who of you by worrying is going to add a single day to your, your span of your life? But the anxious person thinks it will, <laughs> right? It's like, if I do this, I'm going to live longer, right? And kind of the medications tell us if you worry lots and you're anxious lots, that's not gonna it's not gonna make you live longer. But Jesus, Jesus said it uh, years ago. Ed Welsh has got this great phrase which is connected to that. He says, "Fear is a false prophet that prophesies certain doom." Have you noticed that? You notice that when you or someone you're connected to is really anxious. You can't, they can't think of anything or you can't think of anything other than this terrible thing happening and everyone else around you is not thinking the same way, right? But rather, rather than kind of give way to the group consensus, right? We'll get to this a bit later on. Rather than give way to the group consensus, we go, if you've got anxiety or someone else has got anxiety, you end up thinking, I'm the only one who's got a true read on this situation, does anyone know what I'm talking about? All right. No one else has got a true read on the situation like I've got it. And, and it's fear is a false prophet. Now, sometimes things can happen, but the reality is when you get stuck in fear and when you get stuck in anxiety, it's not that you think there's a possibility that something's going to happen. It's most definitely going to happen, and you need to do something about it. In terms of the mind, it can be really powerful to reassess actual risk that's really important, which is kind of the facing your fears bit. Uh, having other people speaking into the anxiety bubble that you're in. In terms of the mind, another one that I think is really helpful is just not letting all of those thoughts just keep rolling over, but actually punctuating it, just sticking a full stop in somewhere because it'll run all day if you let it. It'll just keep spinning all day long. And probably the last one, which I think is a really... I think it's the way that God's made us in the beginning has been corrupted in terms of the mind is when, when you get, the way God made us, like when I, you know, I remember putting a, the chook feeder, I took the chook feeder out of our chook pen and filled it up with uh, chook pellets and went to put it back down only to find out, realise as I was putting it down that there was about a five foot brown snake that had been curled up underneath it, right? And that, that got me going. In fact, uh, Dave Birding helped me kill that one in the chicken coop. But you know what? You know what fear does is, is fear 
gives you a laser-like focus on the threat that's right in front of you, and you don't think or see anything else except for that threat, okay? So at that point in time, I'm not thinking about my parents or the kids inside the house. I'm thinking there's a brown snake right in front of me that I almost woke up, all right? And that's a good thing. But when fear kind of translates into anxiety, what actually happens is we get this laser-like focus on the thing that we fear and we don't see anything else. And it's actually a significant problem. So uh, danger or the danger that we see in our minds is, um, gives us tunnel vision in a really unhelpful way. You know, and one of the things that we can do about this is to have a cheat sheet where you write things that are true down on a piece of paper and when you get stuck in anxiety or you get stuck in worry or someone that you know gets stuck in worry, you just go, "Can you, you need to get that bit of paper out because those are the things that you know are true. And you need to hold on to those true things even when you feel like you're losing your mind. Body, mind, emotions, all right? Emotions, multifaceted approach. I think it's helpful for you to know what anxiety feels like for you. You feel it in your head. Like, does, you, does your face get red? Do you, does your head get hot? Uh, do you feel it in your chest, in your hands? Does your, does your heart start to pound? Sometimes the, the red face of people is like a, a, an anger thing that, that's kind of a response to, to anxiety and fear. And so I think when, when you're clear about what it feels like for you, when you can feel it coming on, one of the things that you can do is know that that's a trigger point for kicking a plan into gear and knowing where you're at. And I think Psalm 62 verse 8, just a, a beautiful psalm for people stuck in the middle of something that they're worried about. Pour your heart out to the Lord, which is exactly what Psalm 62 verse 8 says. It, pour, it says, pour out your heart to the Lord. Tell him everything that's on your heart. Yeah, talk to him about that. So body, mind, emotions, just scooting through a bunch of, bit, bit of a cook's tour of, of what you can do. The will, this is, uh, this first one's really important, but I don't mean it in a cheap kind of easy kind of way because it's, it's really hard to do sometimes. And that's choosing to believe something else, okay? And sometimes, I remember uh, a teacher at, TCC school had the old line, which I'm sure many of you heard, where uh, uh, he used to say to students all the time, he'd go, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. And so when it comes to someone who's anxious and worried and stuck in that place, uh, they might not be able to change everything that they're believing about a whole situation, but my encouragement to them is just find one piece and just pick it off. Like a sniper, just pick off one, one kind of brick at a time and, and just find a moment where you can choose to believe something else. This is another one. This is kind of connected to the body a bit, but use the, the physical to interrupt and stop it. We'll get, get to some more of this later on, but I'm a, I'm a massive believer in this interconnectedness between your heart and your body and your body and your heart. And my kids groaned this morning when Pete Milliken asked everyone to stand up to pray. But I, I think we do that a bit at the church here because there, I think there is a connection between spiritual posture and uh, physical posture. And I think that runs as well when, when we're thinking about anxiety is that you can actually interrupt and stop some of your anxiety that's going on internally by what you do 
by what you do physically. Again, some of you go, Peter, you're saying that that's going to fix everything? No, because I think it's a multifaceted approach and there's a few things in play, but I think it can be helpful. This is, uh, this is one of my favourites. Finding something to not do out of trust in God, right? Because anxiety finds a whole bunch of things you need to do. And I, I love the idea, and this is something I do quite a bit if I'm uh, worried about some stuff, is I'm just going to leave one thing, and not being silly about it, like there's some things that God would have us to do and uh, to be organised about things, but just there'd be something that's like, no, I'm not going to do that bit. I'm not, I'm not going to just sort that little bit out. I'm just going to trust in the Lord to, uh, to bring that one to pass. And sometimes, and I'll get to this a little bit more later on, sometimes it's good to do something. Right? You just, you know, if you've got some energy, go and do something. But you do need to be careful with that one. So a lot of people do a lot of things when they're anxious. And I'm not even saying they're bad things. They just wind up and they get busier and busier and busier. And they can't ever kind of sit still even for five minutes. So you've just got to be a little bit careful. Sometimes people can really dive into distraction and work because it stops them thinking about the stuff that they're worried about. That's the longest section for tonight, but we're up to Q&A. So has anyone got any questions? It does distraction play a part in managing anxiety? Yeah, it can, and there's probably some way that it can be healthy. But I think it's mostly not. Because <laughs> I think it's, um, it's, it's, not, it's not dealing with the core issue of what's going on, but just kind of sweeping it under the, under the carpet. Now, sometimes I think probably you could distract yourself and buy yourself some time because there's some times where in the day where you just may not be able to slow down and we're going to talk about that in a moment but you may not be able to slow down and get to a place where you can deal with what the core issue is because there's so much stuff going on so you can kind of pin it so to speak with a bit of distraction but i'm not i'm not persuaded that um distraction is going to get you to the to the root of what's going on and resolve it question is um, the stuff that I've been I've just worked through could it be seen as redirecting rather than uh, distracting yeah I think it could the big danger of doing all the stuff that I just went through it doesn't necessarily lead people to trust it can but it doesn't because what tends to happen and this is the danger of putting it up there is when people are anxious they see it as like a 35 point plan that they've got to get in place and then they won't be anxious and so we're going to get to that in a minute but whenever you put up kind of strategies like that and this is one of the tricky things I think about anxiety is you can grab anything it's like a psycho shopper with a shopping trolley running through a supermarket, just grabbing random things off the shelves and just shoving them in the trolley. And, and I can put all that sort of stuff up. And it's like, if someone gets in an anxious place, they're just going to be grabbing whatever they can to try and find that silver bullet to actually take out the anxiety. Yeah, I'm with you on it, but that's probably the caution that I've got. But then I actually have that caution about everything. Because I think you can read scripture that way and you can pray that way, like you can have anxious prayer. I mean... Anxiety, I think, can hijack just about anything, to be honest. Yeah, what role do I see exercise in that? Uh, I think it's really important. I think uh, at the end of the day, you know, we are, 
we are finite creatures. We can't be everywhere at once and we're not all powerful and we can't. There's, there's things that make our body go and, and make us function properly. You know, I think things like diet are important and I'm not saying that my diet's always the greatest, all right? But they, it is important. And I remember that movie years ago, Super Size Me with the guy that just ate McDonald's. How long was that for? For like six weeks or something? A couple of months or something and uh, he didn't end up in too good a place. So I think, I think it's important. I, I think it's good for people to exercise regularly. The, the difficulty, and, and our society's got lots of things. There's lots of stuff going, coming out about neuroscience and all that sort of stuff. And it's all helpful stuff. But whenever you go after one of these as the thing that's going to save you, which is what you do in an anxious state, you kind of make it an idol at that point. And you make something that's meant to be part of a bigger whole the only thing or the main thing. So you just, you just have to be careful of that. So the question is, can anxiety have a purpose? What, um, what purpose could it have? A good purpose, you mean? Yeah, that's a, that's a can of worms. Um, but it's because, I mean, Paul talks about his anxiety for the churches. So, you know, is, is it possible that there could be some form of anxiety that's okay? I've got space for that. You know, I'd, I think most of our experience, for example, of shame is negative, but there is a shame that the scriptures talk about that is, that is a good experience and right experience of shame. But that's probably a longer, that's a longer conversation. The question is, in the body and the heart thing, uh, are soul and spirit separate to that? I'm saying that heart, soul and spirit are often used synonymously in the scriptures. All right? But it's... It's, you wouldn't find, uh, there's not many references to soul and spirit being used in the scriptures to, un, to describe the motivational things that drive us as humans. The word heart is actually used to, to describe those motivational drives. So that, that's why I think it's the most helpful one. But there'll be people that would disagree with me on that. And there's churches in town that believe in a tripartite view of the person, which is three pieces. They think the, for the body, you go to the doctor, for the soul, you go to a psychiatrist, and for a spirit, their spi- the person's spirit, you go to a pastor. But I, I think that's really messy because there's a lot of stuff that they put in the soul, psych- psychiatrist, psychologist piece that, is, that I think a pastor should be dealing with. <laughs> so I'd, I think those, those two are, um, are compressed. All right, let's um, move on if you've uh, got a question. Uh, later you'll get another crack. Let's um, have a look at another meditation. This is one of my faves. It's one of my faves because it's uh, one of these scriptures that where God says not to fear and then gives the best reasons ever for not to fear. Isaiah 41 verses 10 and 13. Fear not, for I am with you. See, it doesn't say fear not because it's a sin. You see, what would happen if God said fear not because it's a sin is then we'd have something else to fear, (laughs) right? The better news is fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. He's the supreme, right? But he's not just the supreme, He's the supreme that's close, right? I will strengthen you. 
I will help you. Any of you know this verse? I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And this, this next verse, I actually like better. Yeah, they're all inspired scripture, but. For I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. Isn't that beautiful? Now you gotta, you know, you gotta look at that. What's what's God saying? I am the Lord God. I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord of everything. I am. I'm God. I'm the supreme, the transcendent one. What is the supreme, transcendent one doing? Holding your hand. I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. And he's, this is so beautiful because, you know, he holds your hand and it's like he looks you in the eye and he says, fear not, I'm the one who helps you. It's amazing, right? It's amazing. This is where we've got to slow down enough and let it drop to the bottom, Right? You know, we need to recognize that scripture can quickly be hijacked by the ADD nature of anxiety, which just looks for a quick fix. These are scriptures that you need to read slowly and just think about them. Let them run over in your mind and not be another thing that you kind of just chuck into the black hole of whatever's going on. You see... If the Lord God is going to strengthen you and help you and uphold you, <laughs> fear is unnecessary. You see that? You just don't need to. You don't need to. Now, this will be a shorter teaching piece. It's related to the physicality piece from the previous section. Uh, the way, as I said earlier, the way God has made you is to get you ready for action when there's something fearful in front of you. Uh, as I mentioned last week at church, uh, when we're fearful of something, we are designed to exercise dominion or personal power to bring it under control. Okay? This is what I talked about last week. Made to uh, have dominion in a smaller way. We sit underneath God's dominion right so there's a natural side to it that when a threat or a danger comes up i think naturally our internal pace will pick up and we'll get ready to get ready to face it and and do what needs to be done uh, but as we saw last week what anxiety tends to do is it tends to push us and our dominion out from underneath gods okay and um all of a sudden you need to be across a lot more things now, all right? And you need to control a lot more things now. And the result of it is that we actually get really, really busy. Because when we step out from underneath God's dominion, there's much more to control. And there's a lot more dangers out there. There's much more to do. And it looks something like this when you get stuck in it, all right? There's a danger and so there's some fear so you get to work and you just go, I've got to control it. I've got to stop that bad thing from happens, happening. So you work out what the control thing is 
And then when you're out from underneath God's dominion, there's something else that you find that is out of control, that could go bad. So then there's some more fear. And then you work out a plan for that. And you get some control over it, maybe. And then you find another thing that could happen. And then you work out a way to control that. And it just keeps spinning around and around and around. Uh, And it becomes a vicious cycle really, really quickly. And we end up like a hamster in a wheel that runs really, really hard and doesn't actually go anywhere in the end. Okay, that that tends to be how it is. And um, we can kind of grab anything in the hope that we can throw it in, right? There's a whole bunch of things that we can throw in to try and get control of the situation when we're feeling anxious. And this is the, the question, what kinds of things do we employ in an effort to control threats? Well, most of the time, you just need to know they're good things that we use to try and control threats that are actually going on. Bad things, we tend to use bad things for escapism. If you just want to get out of whatever it is that's going on, you'll use a bad thing. I'm not saying this is across the board, but generally speaking, that's, that's where you'll go. Um, when you're trying to control it, most of the time, you'll use something that is good. So, what do we use to control threats? Well, we, we work out plans. What else? We work out more plans. <laughs> All right. What else? Well, we work out some more plans. We gather information, right? Because uh, information gives you a, a sense of power. We can anxiously pray, right? So, God, you have to fix this for me. We can try and get other people to do things. We can get busy to distract ourselves. Sometimes we can repent. You just got to hear me on this. Sometimes we can repent because you think it's going to be the trick or the mechanism that's going to break it, right? And so rather than it being true repentance, it's actually a strategy that we're using to try and deal with the threat that's in front of us. You You see what I'm saying? You can read scripture in that way. It's insatiable. (laughs) Uh, the reality is that when you're out here in a godless world which is where anxiety takes you there is no end to the amount of work that you need to do to stop dangerous bad things happening it's just it's just kind of how it rolls and the reality is that you're not actually going to be able to control everything that you want to control to make sure that it's safe and so what happens is you get faster and faster internally your internal pace picks up to try and control the things that are actually going on for you and you just get tighter, all right? Oh, this is all sounding pretty depressing, actually, coming out of my mouth. <laughs> and just to make matters worse, anxiety isolates, all right? It separates people from the herd. That's what it does. And let me give you... A few reasons why or how um, and then I'm gonna give you some thoughts about what I think we can do about it as I mentioned before there's the built-in I hesitate to say this but it's kind of I mean if you're honest about it it's a built-in arrogance that you're the only one that sees things correctly like it's it's just it's like and everyone else around you just doesn't get it Right? And you just got to 
realize that if you think that, that's by definition is going to shift you away from everyone else and kind of put you on on your own. I think um, we can end up in the in the place where we think that God actually isn't that interested in what's going on. And so that's isolating in itself. And, uh, and even a false saviour kind of complex where you just think, I'm actually the only one that can deal with this situation properly. And that, that in itself is, is isolating um, because we become the ones who have to save the situation or save, save the world. And what it does is it makes us fast and I want to say to you that the only way out is trust. And when it, when it all comes down to it, fear is fast and trust is slow. Fear increases your speed and makes you reactive. Trust slows you down and makes you more methodical. So all of my boys have played contact sports right and it's not unfortunately it's not that uncommon for uh, some kid at a rugby game to get tackled awkwardly and they have to get them to lie still and they call the ambulance and um you know i'm sure the ambulance uh the, the paramedics would be in a rush if they needed to be in a rush but i've never seen them in a rush at a rugby game okay it pulls in beside the kid lying they calmly walk out they kneel down, they ask uh, the kid how they're going and what's going on and they, they go through their process of putting, putting them on the bed and getting them in the, in the, back, of the, um, in the back of the ambulance and taking them away. Now, I'm sure that they would be in much more of a rush at a, at a critical emergency, but it's something I've seen over and over from the paramedics, that there's a methodical nature to what they're doing. And um, I think trust looks a bit more like that. Um, knowing that God's dominion is over all things, uh, it's a little slower. And that doesn't mean that there aren't emergencies where you need to engage and, and do things quickly. And uh, one thing that um, I would just really encourage you to do in all of this is to use your physicality to slow things down. Uh, I worked out when I was teaching that if I walked really quickly to my next class in a rush, I would walk into the classroom with a different vibe than if I just slowed down a tiny bit. And it might have been, it might have even only been five, maybe 10 seconds later than what it would have been, but I'd just go in with a totally different vibe. You know, and I, I totally, 100% believe that you can actually slow down your internal world because of that connection between the body and the heart. And, you know, that, that comes out in things like uh, stopping, taking breaks at work, as I said, walking more slowly, resting, making sure that you're getting good sleep, you know, during the day, stopping to pray for 10 seconds. It's just like I'm just going to stop and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God for help today. And you do it. You do it every hour or you do it every half an hour you know you, you you interrupt the the pattern and the pace that's actually going going on to um to slow down internally because you know at the end of the day when you're trusting in the lord you're putting your life 
and everything around you into his hands ultimately and it ultimately doesn't depend upon you you know you don't you don't have to get there to make it make everything okay that's section two well let's go to the next section eh? i think that's the that's the point that point that we're getting to here okay meditation this this is a great one this is a this is a short one uh, this is this is an ak-47 if you're into automatic rifles which you wouldn't be if you're in australia but um for anxiety romans 8:32. he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things what's what's the promise here there will be enough for you you don't have to look after yourself the the death of christ on the cross is your assurance that you'll have everything that you need you won't be let down at the end of the day all right here's something you can do in the midst of anxiety um you can repent um, this may seem strange, but it is something that's really good to do in the midst of anxiety, um, as long as we're intelligent about how we're doing it, okay? Um, you can repent for being anxious, but I don't think that that actually gets to the heart of what's going on with anxiety, so I don't think it's the kind of repentance that's the most helpful. Um, because at the end of the day, sometimes, as I said earlier, repentance can be this kind of lucky charm or this strategy or silver bullet or something if i just do that then all of a sudden i'm going to get into a good place and we just got to be careful uh doing that now this talking about repentance in the context of anxiety may seem a little bit harsh for people stuck in anxiety but i want you to remember something that scripture i think teaches really really clearly is that hu humanity and all of us are almost always a mixture of sinner and sufferer, okay? Uh, scripture says that over and over, okay? Even, even when you have done the most evil act and you're living in the consequences of the evil act that you've done, you're actually a sinner and a sufferer at the same time. Uh, if God wasn't compassionate toward people who have done things to themselves, we'd all be in trouble, okay? Because that's all of our stories we are almost never just one okay come back with me to this slide here i i told you that we we we've got this anxiety thing that just kind of pushes us out away from underneath god's dominion but the one thing i didn't talk about last week and the one thing i haven't talked about tonight yet is what actually pushes that us out from underneath god's dominion um, now i think that there's space for a whole bunch of suffering when we're talking about anxiety but i don't think you could ever say that anxiety is only suffering right because there actually is a bit of sinning that goes on in the midst of the suffering which is not un uncommon for humanity to be honest i mean we sin in our suffering that's that's just kind of one of the things that's true uh, for humanity. So let me, 
Let me give you three types of sin that can be present in the midst of anxiety, all right? The first one, uh, the classic kind of term for it is, is high-handed, all right? So it's not a reaction to some kind of deficit or some kind of trouble that we're trying to fix up. It's actually got a bit more human pride playing in it, in fact, a lot. This is a sinful move in anxiety. We want what we want and we desert God in an effort to get it, okay? And the classic example of this, which we all know well, is, um, is Genesis chapter 3 in the fall of humanity. Adam and Eve just wanted what they wanted and they deserted God to get it. And what actually happened when they deserted God is they, God had made them needy by nature and dependent by nature. But when they deserted God, like a, an astronaut on a spacewalk who cuts the airline, they were needy beforehand. When they cut the airline, need explodes at that point in time, okay? And, and that's actually what you find with humanity is that need explodes when we disconnect from God and we just don't have all of the things that we need, all right? And you'll find that, and you'll find that with people that you love, is that when anxiety, if you really, really want something and you feel like that thing's threatened, you'll separate from God because I just want to get that. And then once you get out there, you just kind of go, actually, this really sucks, <laughs> right? Because you just, you're kind of a shag on a rock at that point in time. And it's like, man, I'm just exposed here at this point in time. And I don't know how to handle everything that's going on uh, around me. Um, so we disconnect from God. Here's another way that we can sin in anxiety. We stay in an anxious place because we want the thing we're anxious about more than God. Like that, that happens, right? And I, I have heard people say it, and I, I have had this, where you just go, I could come back to God, but if I come back to God, I just might not get the thing that I really want. <laughs> So you got this decision about whether you're going to stay out here and keep working really hard and wrestling to try and get the thing that you want or leave it in his hands and kind of come back in underneath his authority and trust in him. That's, that's a pretty big one. I mean, one of the things that anxiety is really powerful in doing is it actually exposes the stuff that you want the most. And it's not very pleasant when it does that, but that's actually what it does. It exposes the core desire of your heart. And if you stay in the anxious place, now I'm not, just be careful with this, right? Because you can get stuck in it, right? And you've got all the bodily kind of stuff that goes on as well. So I'd hear me say it in the context of that, but you can, you can stay in an anxious place because you really want that thing and you want it more than you want God and Him. So you could, you know, think about what, what would be a healthy way of repenting in, a, um, in an anxious place. Well, uh, maybe you could identify the top one. Maybe you could identify the next one. You just say, God, I... I actually do want to have that more than you, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. Would you forgive me? This, is, this next one's one that I, I use quite a bit. 
I'll repent with this one. We're unfaithful in trusting God consistently. You know, we, we flip. This is the uh, Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. You know, there's a way that for God, we, uh, we flip on him and like one minute, minute we'll be trusting him and the next minute we'll be anxious and we're not trusting him anymore and we really want this thing. And so you can just say sorry to him about that. There's a few options. I'll give you one personal illustration in this middle one here just as we finish this section. The early days of uh, the church, I, um, I hadn't, hadn't preached that much and I would um, preach and what I would do, doesn't happen anymore, but um, it happened for quite a while where I'd finish preaching and then for the rest of the Sunday through until I went to sleep at night, I would go through... I'd replay the sermon in my mind and think about everything that I said and uh, whether it was good or not. And I remember there was a sermon where I got a chapter number wrong in the book of John. It was like six and I said it was seven, you know, and um, I just played it over and over. There was a, a godly man in the church who um, would ring me like clockwork pretty much, somewhere between 2 and 3 p.m. and just interrupt he didn't know any of that was going on, but he'd just ring between two and three and he'd say, Peter, that was a good word this morning. And it was just like someone just letting me know that um, outside of the bubble that I was in, there was something good had actually happened. And um, I remember um, one night, and it wasn't an audible voice, <laughs> I was lying in bed awake, uh, not going to sleep because I was playing this sermon in my head. And... Um, and God, God said to me, um, you don't even care what they think of me. You just care what they think of you. And I just went, oh. <laughs> it's like, checkmate, right? And see how um, that's a classic example of that middle one where we stay in an anxious place because we want the thing we are anxious about more than God. And God just nailed me that night and he just said, you don't even care what anyone thinks about me, you only care what people think about you. And that was the thing that I loved the most in my own mind, even in my anxious state, is I, that was the thing that was the most valuable. So there are some really healthy ways that you can repent in the middle of anxiety, okay? And people around you can repent. Now, if you're... Um, You can go there with people who are anxious that you're connected with, but I'll just tell you to be careful. <laughs> all right? Just rolling in and going, I think you need to repent. All right? It's like that probably will not go well for you. Um, so just, just be careful um, about that. Um, you just need to know people well so that when, that, when you land that kind of question or um, kind of maybe suggest that, uh, that they've got a clear understanding that you know them and that you love them. And um, all right, questions? You're really asking how do you how do you apply repentance when you're not clear about about what it is that you need to repent of? Really, like you're anxious and you're not really sure about what that is. Um, 
Well, that's, I think that's, um, you, you want to come to the Lord. You know, the psalmist says, search my heart, O God, and see if there be any unclean way in me. You know, so, you know, if you're anxious about something and um, there's a bit more sin going on, the suffering, and you don't know about it, I think it's something you can come to the Lord and, and say to the Lord, can you, can you tell me to see if there's something that I'm not seeing? You know, help me to see clearly and, and then wait upon him to show you what it is, you know. If you go back to the first section tonight with all that list of stuff about body, mind, soul, you know, do you know all of those can get wrapped up in one thing and it's uh, the Lord's my shepherd. He's going to speak the truth, truth to me. He's going to make me lie down in green pastures. Um, he's going to stir my heart and bring joy to my heart. That's, that's what he's going to be working for. Um, he's going to teach me the things that I need to do and I can go and do them. Um, you can kind of break it all down into a scientific way and have 15 parts that you've got to do all at once or, or come to the Lord and ask the Lord to be your shepherd and to lead you and guide you. Because I think in an anxious state, you could, thinking about sin, you could go, I need to find what this is. And then it just feeds into the same kind of vicious cycle again. Uh, instead of coming to the Lord and saying, I know that you're good and I know you're a good shepherd and um, I, I like it when you talk to me, right? And, and I want you to talk to me and tell me what's going on for me and what you want me to do. Yeah, it comes to trust. I do not, I'm going to say something and I don't mean it in any kind of religious way. There is nothing more precious to me than God talking to me. And 99% of the time he talks to me through the Bible. So my, my job as best as I can, and I need God to help me with this, is when I sit down with scripture, I say to him, I'm, I, want, I want you to talk and, and I want to listen because it's, it's always good. <laughs> you know, and so I'm, I'm happy to hear the things that aren't, well, I think I am, and maybe I'm not. I mean, we've all probably hard-hearted, I'm, I'm probably one of the worst, but um, I feel like I'm more willing now to hear anything from the Lord than I ever have because everything he says is good, you know. So go to him and say, I, I don't see this, I don't know this. Can you help me? And I'll wait. That waiting bit's the key because anxiety doesn't want to wait. <laughs> That's the pace thing again, right? Let's do section four. And then we'll finish. Here's a meditation. Pretty well-known um, couple of verses. It's got the killer word for the anxious. All right? That's the second one. Wait. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. There is no question that the Lord will rescue you. The Lord will rescue you. There's no question that we get in miry bogs, right? 
and you can get um, anxiety can be in a miry bog for a long time, right? Sometimes it can be 10 seconds, sometimes 10 days, sometimes longer. And you just want out, <laughs> right? Yesterday. You just want out yesterday. The Lord hears your cry. Wait patiently for him. He'll draw you up. Operating personally with God in anxiety. Um, this is kind of the thing that actually brings everything together. This is the, um, the bit uh, that connects in with uh, the Lord being your shepherd. Um, you know, over and over through scripture, do not be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. Uh, over and over. It's, it's God's personal presence, the transcendent one, the big one, the close one, that makes anxiety crumble, right? It's us trusting in him. It's, it's being in his presence and him speaking to us and us speaking to him. I don't know whether you've noticed, but if, if you look through the scriptures, over and over and over in the scriptures, when God's people have a personal connection to his presence, nothing else matters. Often they're still in the same dodgy place that they were in, but it's all different all of a sudden, right? This is kind of the engine room and the center um, of the battle, is to know God and to trust him, right? That's the center of the battle. But the question is, well, how do you get into his presence? How do you know, how do you know he's with you? And I want to say to you, <laughs> you get into his presence in a similar way to the way that you get into other people's presence. Um, you, you be personal with them, right? That's what you do. You, you let them see and know you, and you want to see and know them. Um, Here's a much, I don't know, this has probably been used against anxious people a bit too often, right? And it probably might even give some of you the shakes when I put it up there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I just want to say this, right? And it's okay if you've quoted this to someone and told them they need to stop being anxious, right? You go, Philippians 4 verse 6 says, don't be anxious for anything, so you just need to stop, right? But if that's the point of what Paul's saying, why does Paul go on to tell you all these things about how you can get there. You see that? So I think what Paul's doing is he's going, here's your goal. It's what we're shooting for, right? And do you see the contrast here before we get into it? Don't be anxious about what? Anything. But pray about everything. <laughs> all right? It's pretty strong. I mean, this is Psalm 62 verse 8 again. Pour out your heart to the Lord. Tell me about everything. Paul's saying your goal is to not be anxious about anything. How do you get there? 
Um, well, not by cracking down in a behavioural sense, right? What is he saying? He goes on to say, pray. <laughs> what's, what's prayer? Well, it's connecting to your Father. It's connecting to the Lord. Um, it's, you know, Paul's saying here, don't, don't be oriented to your anxieties. Be oriented to, to the Lord. That's what he's saying. Be oriented to the Lord. Go to him for help. All right? And you notice, notice the stuff that is thrown out here. The, the first term there, prayer, uh, Paul's, that, that, that Greek word for prayer there is actually used in other places of Scripture, and it, it, it has the overtones of um, intercessory prayer, prayer for other people. So who, who are you anxious about? Well, bring them to the Lord, you know? Bring them to the Lord. Um, the next one there, supplication. What's, uh, what's supplication? Well, it's a request to meet a need, you know? And um, we, can, we can be uh, pretty good at asking the Lord for things sometimes. You know, at other times, we're not that good, all right? And the reason why we're not that good is because we start having this thought in our heads. It's like, is that a prayer I'm supposed to pray? Like, is that something that I actually need or maybe I don't need it? Uh, but I'll just, I'll just encourage you, in, in my house, Ange and I, I don't think my boys ever think about whether they need something or not most of the time. I, d I just don't think they do, all right? They come up, because that's the thing with parents, right? Is your kids come up all the time and they go, I need this. And you just go, oh, hang on. I'm not sure that you do need it. But whose job is it to work out what you need? Well, I think it's the parent's job to work out what the kids need. The kids just need to ask. And so I think uh, you should just ask the Lord. And then look at the, the next one. So we've got uh, intercessory prayer, supplication. What's the next one? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, I think, is really, really powerful, you know. Because you get into a, uh, a place where, where you're anxious. And if you, know, if, if you went back through the, the book of Philippians, there's a bunch of bad things going on. It's only a few verses earlier. There's division in the church. I think if you go back to Philippians 1, Paul's actually writing it in jail. Uh, it's just, a, it's not cool. There's a bunch of stuff going on that's not cool. So when he says, don't be anxious about anything, he's not saying, look, there's nothing to be anxious about. It's like there are things to be anxious about, right? But you don't need to be anxious about them. Why? Because you need to go to your father. And one of the things you need to do is you need to lay out some thanksgiving for the way that the Lord's done things in the past. Because in your head, you go, why should I trust God for this thing right now? I need to do this myself. And thanksgiving, when you pray it, reminds you of God's acting in the past and it settles things down. It helps to settle things down. And I've been, I, I've been doing this when I've been worried about things, right? I, I, I start and I go, right, I'm going to start with giving thanks for something that the Lord's done in the past. And then I'm going to ask him for something, <laughs> for some help. And the interesting thing that uh, comes uh, after the Thanksgiving bit, and it's a bit synonymous with the rest of it, let your requests be made known to God. Take a moment in prayer and think about what you most deeply want. And just, I would encourage you to like drill deeper than what anxiety is letting you drill and go down deeper to your deep longings and tell the Father about that. Here's what I really want you to do. Now, sometimes, 
the best you're going to come up with is, I just want this to stop. That's a good prayer, <laughs> right? That's opening your heart up and letting the Lord see you and know you. It's being personally with, with God, being personal with God. Tell him what you want really deep down, the specific items. Give voice to the specific desires of your heart. Let your requests be known to him. Well, I'm, uh, I'm done. I'll give you a few, uh, a few resources that I think are helpful after the Q&A. So, uh, so then I've got a question. Yeah, so the question is, uh, um, can anxiety be part of trials and tribulations and part of the, part of the testing there? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think it, I think it can be. Uh, I mean, that's often something that I've said. And it's like, you know, some people go, I don't really deal with fear and anxiety. And I just go, well, you need to go and take more risks for the Lord. Go and find something dangerous to do. You know, not in a dumb way, but just go and find something dangerous to do. Something that, that could go badly, you know, for the Lord's glory and for people's good. And the Lord will, you know, I, I, th I think there is a nice kind of, there's a whole lot that could be said about the plug-in between anxiety and the way that God tests us to make us grow and how it brings things along that are too big for us, that we can't, that we can't get through on our own without, without his help. Because that's, I think you see that over and over and over in the scriptures, you know, like Exodus 3, God shows up to Moses at the burning bush and he says, I want you to go and do this. And Moses goes, well, I can't do that. And God goes, yeah, that's right, you can't do it, but I'm going to be with you and we're going to do it together. And then... It's just, I mean, it's, 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 um, it's Joshua, it's Jeremiah, it's the disciples, you know, but it's, it's that partnership between God and that personal partnership between us and God that quells anxiety. Um, but it's also the, when that's not operating well, uh, it's, it's, it's easy to get quickly daunted by things and and find things hard. Yeah. You know, we talk about this a bit in Restore Groups. You've got to climb inside the bubble with people a bit and know the, the internal kind of logic of what's driving the anxiety and take the opportunity to speak into it when you get, when you get the opportunity. But it's hard, right? Because anxious people will work really hard. And this is all of us when we have anxious times. Um, given the opportunity to work hard to persuade other people around you that the way that you see the world is actually the way that it is. So it can, it can be hard to, to walk alongside someone who's anxious. The question is, how do, how do you see mental health professionals and, and doctors working alongside? Look, I, I, think it's, um, I, I, think, I think you can work really well alongside them. I'm not sure that there's any. Uh, I've got to be careful saying that, but because there's some pretty wild stuff out there. But I think probably with most mental health people, you'll get some benefit somewhere. I've, I've always been a. Um, it's not something that we've necessarily actioned in a way that um, I think would be really helpful. But it'd be nice if there was some way for pastors and mental health professionals to be able to connect and provide a more kind of just an umbrella that's a bit more consistent for people one of the i mean uh, cognitive behavioral therapy which is about thinking has kind of been shown to be the most helpful or one of the most helpful 
when it comes to anxiety. So, and that's a thinking piece. But as you could see before, like the thinking is connected to the will, connected to the uh, the emotions, which is the heart, and then it's embodied soul. So there's there's more going on. So, and I think the difficulty is that the core of what it means to be human is this personal uh, relational core of us that needs to connect to Jesus. And uh, so people who aren't going to help you, assist you with that, are they going to be helpful? Yeah, I think they're going to be helpful. But you probably need someone that can walk alongside them as well or find a psychologist that appreciates that and can help people to, uh, to walk in that direction. Um, but I think there's a lot, lot to be gained. You know, it's, if, if you're struggling and you need help, better to have someone than no one who can walk alongside you. But it, it'd be, you know, I think Ed Welsh has done a lot of really good stuff on anxiety and, you know, it's good to have someone who can understand that kind of core dynamic of what it means to be human and can lead you in that direction. So, yeah. What's the most unhelpful thing that you can do for a person? <laughs> Tell them that anxiety is a sin and they should just stop. All right. Um, the other, the other thing that um, I'm going to give you two, two for the price of one. Um, the other thing that is unhelpful is when Christians give verses to other people, and they expect that the other person knowing it is actually going to fix what's going on for them. All right. Which actually, it's kind of. I've heard a biblical counselor say, it's like people hand out verses like, oh, here's two Panadol and call me in the morning and see how you're going. And the problem is that the verses actually contain in them a whole bunch of helpful truth, but it's a mechanism by which they expect someone else is going to apply it. It's like, ah, see, I said to you that uh, Peter says in First Peter that you should cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Now that I've said it to you, you should be right tomorrow. All right, whereas the mechanism that makes the anxiety go away in that piece is personal in nature, not just that you need to know some verse in the Bible. Um, so those would kind of be the two things, is um, start, start going in anxiety as though it's a sin and they just need to stop and not realising the mechanism that you're leaning on to get the job done is, is impersonal. You know, you want to... You want to lead people to um, to be closer to Jesus. That's what you want, to be personally closer to Jesus. So there's a, there's a book by, I can't remember the lady's name. The book's called uh, What Grieving People Wish You Knew About, What Really Helps and What Really Hurts. And um, she says something similar about the scriptures that get quoted to grieving people. She just talks about how they're quoted in a very non-personal way and that as though quoting a verse at someone is going to fix them. So she, one of her suggestions in her book, Nancy Guthrie is her name, one of her suggestions in her book is if you want to quote a scripture to someone, quote a scripture that the Lord's used in your life and tell them how it's been helpful in your life and how God helped you to be closer to him. And then that'll be something that will be, be helpful to people. Good question. If you've got another question, come and uh, see me later. Here's uh, three books that I think are pretty helpful. Uh, Running Scared is um, uh, Ed Welsh's work on uh, 
on anxiety, so fear, worry, and the God of rest. Um, he's got this one that has only just come out a little while ago in the middle, a small book for the anxious heart, and that's a, like a devotional book. There's only like two pages per day, um, so that's a good one too. And um, I'm a bit... Uh, I like Max Licardo sometimes, and he's got a devotional book called, it's a bit cheesy sometimes, it's called God is With You Every Day, but it's it's just really short devotional readings reminding you that God's with you and, and drawing you close. Here's where I want to finish. This was a rugby um, about two weeks ago. And uh, it doesn't look as good in uh, video, but just to the right of the shot here, um, and just here's a warning, this is going to get a little cheesy, all right, just as I finish, and then I'll pray. Just to the right is a uh, one of the floodlights, one of the big tower kind of floodlights, and it was raining and it looked absolutely gorgeous, actually. It was, it was amazing, and it was just in awe, you just see these waves of rain. And um, do you see something in the rain? So there were all these insects that were flying up through the rain, right? And um, this world is not a safe place a lot of the time. But it struck me, how do these moths in this rain stay in the air, you know? And here's the cheesy bit. God would have all of us, in a world where things don't go well, be able to fly up in the rain, all right? And his, his presence can enable us and the people around us to fly up through the rain of anxiety, which we just want to wash you down. Amen? Let me, um, let me pray. And actually, would you mind standing? Let's just do that, do that thing. God, you know um, as good as anyone, better than anyone, just the, the trouble that can happen in this world. Um, you told Adam and Eve that death was going to come on the day that they ate of the fruit and you know, I can't help but think that they had no idea that this is what it was going to be um, but the fact that you um, you didn't retreat and leave us to our own devices but got amongst it that you'd um, that you'd be a God who would reassure over and over and over again that you wouldn't you almost would never rebuke the fearful but you just give reason after reason and scripture after scripture about why they don't need to fear and it says so much uh, of your uh, your tenderness your kindness and um, we just thank you for that <laughs> thank you God that your plan is um, to keep growing us up so that we can we can be gutsy and we can not fear the same things we fear this year next year uh, we can get stronger we can take on more challenges and uh, get after what you've got for us so um, help us to remember that you're with us help us to be close to you and um, yeah, make us bold as a line amen